And my son is small at the time. He's, you know, I'm, I'm missing him grow up. He looks different. He's talking different. And I just have one kid. Then he got old enough to understand that, hey, dad's not here. And he started to articulate it. So he started to tell me like, hey, dad, you know, I, I, I'm scared. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here today with Brian O'Neill. Um, Brian is an investor, an expert on getting out, jailbreaking your day job, and also on the phone. So uh, we're going to get into some of those topics today. Brian, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Terry. It's great to be here. And uh, thanks for saying all those nice things about me. <laughs> just wait. The interview is hardly kicked off. That's right. <laughs> um, so just by way of introduction, why don't you give us uh, the elevator pitch of, uh, you know, what led you to be on the show today? What's been your journey through life so that um, the audience can get to know you a little bit? Very interesting that you said elevator pitch because I was actually an elevator salesman for uh, mm -hmm. 17 years. I worked in the same job, 25 years in all in, in corporate in corporate sales uh, since I got out of school, since I got out of college. And I had always been, I'd always wanted something more. Like I, 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 I dabbled in everything. I think a lot of people do this, Terry. They'll, you know, they're not happy with their, with their job, with their nine to five. You know, we call it a W-2 here in the States, but, you know, nine to five job. They're not happy with it. They want something more. They, they feel it. Like this was me. Like, you know, this isn't, this is not what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to work for somebody else and do the same thing over and over. For the rest of my life, this doesn't make sense to me. But because I had been conditioned and programmed from a young age, my parents and everybody else around me, no fault to theirs, this is what they were taught. They were just teaching me the same thing. When it came time to kind of break out of that mold, just like all the fear, all the mindset stuff just came and It's like, well, hey, what if it doesn't work? Like, I'm not going to have a city paycheck. Like, what if, what if, what if? Like, you just, it's something that we do. It's called discounting it without even considering it. And that's really what I did. So, what I would do is I would dabble in other stuff, right? Like I would look at trading stocks, I would look at real estate, I would look at franchising, and I just kind of dipped my toe in the water and never really, you know, committed to anything. And all I was doing was distracting myself from my reality, which was my nine to five that I didn't like, with another distraction. And I would just repeat the cycle. And this literally went on for a good 10 to 15 years until I finally found the courage with the help of my son to take my shot, to quit being afraid, to stop with the limiting beliefs. And I thank him all the time, but he was the one who really kind of pushed me over the edge to say, hey, look, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I'm going to go for it. And I started a real estate business. This was about four years ago, and I left that job that I had been trying to leave for about 10 to 15 years. It took me nine months. Once I put some pieces in place, I, I didn't do a lot, just put a few pieces in place. I left that job in nine months and I, I've never looked back. I've been out of the W, I've been out of my nine to five for over three years now. Well, so, yeah, I was going to say, finish that. I was going to say, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, okay, like explain that to me a little bit. So, you said, you know, your son uh, was the one who gave you a kick. I want to hear that story. And I also want to know because, you know, we were had a little off camera chat before where I said, you know, this is one of the things where like maybe I'm of less value to my audience because I just never really did have a proper job, right? Like I, I um, went to grad school, I studied for a really long time and then went straight into real estate without uh, kind of going through the nine to five road. 
Um, but I observe a lot of people that I coach and, and, you know, a lot of people that I meet, um, you know, are exactly the cycle you describe, you know, which is that like, they're kind of dabbling and the dabbling is like a distraction, but it's like just enough to maybe get your fingers burnt and to be like, oh, wow, this is scary. But because there's no like full on commitment, it's as if they don't learn the lessons they need to learn that would allow them to jailbreak themselves out of it. So Tell me what happened for you mentally and, and tell me the story about what happened with your son. Sure. So I'll go with my son first. Um, I, you know, I had mentioned that I was, you know, just feeling just unfulfilled in my life, right? Like I just, I knew I was capable of more and I, I just didn't believe in myself, even though outwardly I was projecting that I was this confident, you know, sales guy who just knew it all. And, I just, in, inside, I was just a scared little kid, little eight-year-old kid who was just petrified to, you know, go out on his own. Well, I had a high travel job. Uh, we were talking offline. I was traveling 100,000 miles a year on air, airplanes. I was gone every other week. So I would come home and my son is small at the time. He's, you know, I'm, with, I'm missing him grow up. He looks different. He's talking different. And I just have one kid. Then he got old enough to understand that, hey, dad's not here. And he started to articulate it. So he started to tell me like, hey, dad, you know, I, I, I'm scared to be here when you're not here and, and just be with mom. I, I don't like it when you go. So that starts to chip away at me as every time I leave and, and I'm missing him grow up. And I finally said to myself, that was the push. And I said to myself, I said, look, I got one shot, one shot to watch this kid grow up and I'll be damned if I'm going to miss him. And that's when I started to put the pieces in place to make sure that, because I saw my father do the same exact thing, the same thing. And I was recreating it. I said, oh, I'm just not repeating this. Like there's, there's, a, there's a better way for me to live. And, you know, the, the mindset I had been, I had worked on it. I had been working on my mindset for a long time. Like I didn't believe in myself. So I, I, I got a lot of help. You know, I was reading books. I was downloading, you know, a, a, a mentor, you know, mentors and, and just looking at working on my, my mindset because I knew I didn't believe in myself. So I had to fix that. I hired a coach. Because that was my block, right? It was that I was going to mess it up and screw everything up. I'm like, well, I'm going to just mitigate that risk as much as I can. And then once I did that and I committed, I had my son, right? I'm like, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm, he's never saying that to me again. Like, there's this thing that we refer to as having a very strong, overdeveloped why, and that was it. He's never saying those words to me again. And every time I felt like quitting and not calling sellers and not doing what I was supposed to do, I just thought, I thought about what he said to me. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to be on those planes anymore. And that's ultimately what got me to the point where I was able to have such a large amount of success in a short amount of time and get out of that job. Great, uh, great story. It's like a real uh, cats in the cradle kind of thing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, I wonder, I just want to like poke, so specifically the mindset thing. So you said, you know, you, you hired a coach and you really zeroed in on that. Was there... Aside from, you know, your 100% commitment to that goal of never hearing your son say those words again, was there like some other thing that kind of went off in your head that allowed you to finally make the jump? Or was it really that was the motivation you needed? When I got, this is a great question. I love this too, because a lot of us think, and I was the same way, that, that you have to be some special breed of human being to be a business owner, to be an entrepreneur. Like, you know, we're all born with it. We're not, right? I mean, we all have the ability to, to have a business. It's just a matter of whether or not you believe it, okay? So I stepped into my mastermind and I started to see the people who were doing the most deals or they were successful. I started to quickly realize that, hey, they're not much different than I am. 
Like we talk the same, like we're just regular people. You know, we're just doing some things that are different and we're around people who are different. Okay. If I want to leave my nine to five job, I am certainly not going to associate myself, associate with a bunch of people who don't ever want to leave their job because they're just going to tell me that it's too risky. They're going to tell me, why would you leave the steady paycheck and the health benefits and the retirement account? Why would you do that? Versus when it came time to leave my job and I'm in this mastermind with high level people, they all said, yeah, let's do it. Like you're ready. Okay. Whereas everybody else said, why would, why would you real estate? That sounds risky. That's when I knew that being around the right people was what I had been missing for a very, very long time. Yeah. I, I like, I love that. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, uh, you know, in whatever coaching you do, we always talk about like peer group and how, you know, I think it's Jim Rohn who has the quote that says, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And I think that's like, when you're trying to make a change, it's so critical that you evaluate like, are, is what's around you supporting the change you're trying to make? Is it dragging you up or is it holding you in place? Because it's like you said, it's very difficult if every conversation you had is someone who's like never done what you've done before and like they're just sending you these like fear messages man your brain's just going to grab onto that whereas like if you're talking to people they're like oh no this is okay you're like you're going to make it this happened to me when i was on day two and it's totally normal like that's yeah. definitely a better a better situation completely most people are looking for the answers to their questions in the wrong spots and i think that's a major mistake and a lot of it is be because they have a belief system that, hey, I'm not good enough. This is risky. I'm going to fail. And then they go find the people that will validate that belief. Well, plus there's also like an incredible inertia to your peer group, right? Like, you know, I've gone through this at various times when like I've audited sort of, you know, who am I spending time with and what's the net effect of that on my reality? And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should start making different connections or start being like indifferent. But like my friends are still my friends and my city is still my city. And, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to make those new connections. It's difficult to put yourself in a different room. Like we say it like, oh, just, you know, be in a different room. Yeah. You be in a different room. Like <laughs> it's, it's not very easy. <laughs> it's not because it's another level of being uncomfortable, which is, you know, we, we like to live in, like we're designed to be, to, to protect ourselves, to be safe and, and to not take too, too much risk on, right? So the second you start to feel that way, that's when you start, have to start looking at, okay, what can I do that, you know, might make me feel a little uncomfortable? You have to jump out of an airplane, but you got to do something that, you know, really kind of pushes you a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So I want to just switch the conversation a little bit because I was like intrigued when I discovered that you'd written a book on uh, cold calling. So, yeah. I, you know, full disclosure, I don't think I've ever done any cold calling in my life. I think different real estate uh, investors have different strategies in terms of, you know, what their business model is and how they kind of make contact. But I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about phoning, because I feel like that's a place where a lot of us are uncomfortable. And uh, what's your secret sauce? Yeah. Okay. So I did write a book and, you know, again, I, I had a sales background. So I had been cold calling since I was probably 25 years old, right? calling business owners, calling high worth net individuals, just large corporations. So I'd been doing it my whole life. And so when it came time for me to start calling sellers, you know, because we would call uh, expires, we would call for sale by owners and different, tar different uh, you know, targeted niche lists, I, I, I was scared. I was frightened. And this is why people are scared of the fall. It's because they don't know what to say. They don't know what to say. And they also project 
onto the conversation. Like the seller's going to hang out. They're going to do this. They're going to look, well, that may happen. That could happen. That will happen, right? So I eliminate, those are my two biggest fears. Like I've been on the phone for the, all this period of time. I talked to so many people. The reason that I was scared when I was calling sellers is because I didn't know what to say and I was projecting onto the conversation. So I eliminated that completely. Number one is I got super good at the scripts, right? I would practice them. I rehearsed them. I had a role play partner. You know, I would record my calls and listen to them. I would send them to my coach. And then I just started to get more comfortable with reps. Like you have to have repetition. You can't just paralyze yourself and do a bunch of analysis paralysis. That's a big mistake. This is in my book, which again, I'll give you a link. You get everyone can get it. It's free. Uh, it's called How to Master the Phone for 90 Days for Real Estate Investors. And it's all the steps that I took to get really, really good on the phone. And when I'm talking to a seller, you could really apply this to anything, Terry, okay, is we have two ears, we have one mouth. So we got to be using the ears way more than the mouth, right? Which is typically the opposite for most people. It's like, I can't wait for you to stop talking so that I can tell you how awesome this thing that I have that you might not even need. I just can't wait for you to stop so I can tell you all about this thing that I got for you. When I, I, te I taught this for years and I still teach this now. The best way to talk to a seller who's selling their property is yeah. just imagine this. Imagine this scenario. Your neighbor, your next door neighbor puts a for sale sign in the yard. Whether they hire an agent or they do it themselves. What would you do? What would you do if you're out walking your dog and you went out and you, you saw, right? You would just have a friendly neighborly conversation. You might say something like, hey, well, why are you selling your house? Where, where are you going? What happened? What are you doing? That's how you talk to sellers, right? You want to understand what they're trying to get done. They're, they're, they're selling their house for a reason. You got to find out why. They're going somewhere. You want to know where they're going to go. You want to know when they're going to be there by. And then you have to understand how motivated they are. And if you can, the block is always the house. Like if they can't sell conventionally, if they can't get their price or whatever it is, and they got to go to this place, the block is the house. So if you can remove that block with your solution and do it in a way where it's like, hey, I can help you get to your place that you got to go to by the date you got to be there by. Also, I can take the house out of your life so you don't have to worry about it. That's much more powerful than, you know, just making people blind offers, in my opinion. I've gotten a lot of deals that doing it that way, and it's all conversational. It's why, where, when. Why are you selling? Where are you going? When do you need to be there by? Those are the things you need to find out anytime you talk to a seller. Mm-hmm. And so you're working mostly on single family homes, I'm guessing? Mostly single family. I mean, but you could, if I talk to, a, I've talked to plenty of multi-unit owners, it, it's the same conversation. It's the same exact conversation. I want to understand what they're trying to get done. What are you trying to accomplish? Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how can you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. You know, I just like in listening to you describe that, I think back because like, so I own a couple properties and every now and again, I get calls from people 
who are super pushy and who are like, I want to make an offer. I want to make an offer. And then I'm like, okay, well, but like, I'm not really selling. But like, if I was selling, this would be why I would sell. And they're like, not interested in that conversation at all. And so it actually, like, as the person who has the asset, it actually makes it very difficult to have that conversation with them because they're just so like preoccupied of getting to the goal before they've even understood the bigger picture. You know, and, and sometimes like I have people who call me for one property when actually I'm trying to unload another one. And so like if you have a conversation with Terry, you will know like Terry has a large portfolio and there are some assets that she wants to unload right now. Maybe you called me for the wrong asset. But if you're just so focused on like telling me what your number is for that one asset, like maybe I'm not interested in selling that at all, but I have like a bunch of other deals that you could talk to me about. But if you don't talk to me, you won't know. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, there there it is from a seller right there. That's 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 the kind of conversation you want to have, right? And I think that a lot of whoever's calling you, whether they're wholesalers or cash buyers, whether they're trying to do, they're just conditioned to 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 do that, you know, and that's just the wrong way to wrong way to approach it. Because like you said, I've talked to sellers who own, you know, single family houses and it's all, oh, by the way, I own a strip mall, I own a car wash, I own this 40 unit building that I'll sell to you on owner financing potentially, right? And if I had just led the conversation with, hey, I want to make an offer, you know, just so I can get to the next call, I would never get to that point because they're, look, you have to you have to understand what you're doing. You have to understand what you're doing when you're calling a seller, all right? Number one, you're calling them cold. They didn't give you your permission, all right? So they're normally going to be a little jumpy to begin with. Number two, you're talking to them about probably their most prized asset, their home. This is probably their in a lot of cases, their biggest financial uh, purchase that they've ever made. Oh, and also it's their most emotional asset that they have because they grew up there, the family's there, right? So you you can't just come at them with a bunch of body blows. You got to treat it like a very delicate situation because it is to them. They are going to be defensive and you just have to acknowledge that and get through it. And usually you can get over that hump in about 60 to 90 seconds, which seems like an eternity for a lot of people. Yeah, it's get again. It's just asking those questions. I mean, I'm happy to go through how I would, how I typically call sellers. Uh, and look, not not all of them go that way. But if I was calling you up, I would say, "Hey, Terry, this is Brian O'Neill calling. I saw that you have a house for sale. I was just calling to see if, see if it was still available." And then I wouldn't say another word until you spoke. I, I wouldn't. And it, then because normally the questions come at you, "Hey, are you a realtor? Are you one of those eye buyers? Are you this? Are you that?" And I, and I have responses for everything, right? Like these conversations all go the same way. And then I would just say something like, hey, I'm curious as to why you thought about selling. And then you might tell me, like you wanted to tell that other guy, right? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Like I always say this when like I interview tenants because like in my business model, I do like a lot of, a lot of leasing. I say, you know, you just want to press the play button. And like you wouldn't believe what people will tell you. Like, you know, for us in inventing tenants, it's more a question of like, then they're going to tell you, well, by the way, I just got evicted from my last place because like I haven't paid in three months and da da da. And so like now my landlord's like, my stuff's on the street. And you're like, okay, you're like telling me that. So that's information. Like that's good information for me. But it's human beings are human beings. And I think if you like approach them like another human being and not like an object on your path, then you press the play button and they're going to tell you like all kinds of stuff. Everything you want to know. I always say, I joke about it, a, motiv- a motivated seller will, will, will tell you their social security number. I mean, they, they, if, you, if you let them, right? Yeah, yeah. Not, that you, not that you need that, but you just have to give them the space, right? You just got to give them, give them the room. They want, they're looking for somebody to help, right? The motivated sellers are looking for somebody to help. Yeah, great, uh, great nuggets there. So 
Uh, audience, if you're listening, be reminded Brian has a, a book that explains all of this. Um, do you want to tell our people where they can get it? We'll drop it in the show notes, but like, is it on your, available on your website? Yeah, you, we'll drop a little special link in the in the show notes. Uh, but if you just go to w2prisonbreak.com, uh, it's there. You can you can find it. it's called the Phone Master ebook, and it's again how to master the phone in ninety days uh, for real estate investors. It's specifically for real real estate investors. And there's some scripts in there, and there's a lot of mindset stuff in there uh, as well. And it's free, so please grab it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, all right. So I want to change tax a little bit. Um, these are actually my two favorite questions that I ask every guest on my show. The first one is, you know, one of my pet peeves about the real estate industry is that there's a lot of projecting of success and bling and confidence and more deals, more doors, more dollars, I call it like the three D's, right? But behind that is the fact that all of us who have, you know, quit our jobs and are doing this full time, we made sacrifices, we took lifestyle hits, we did unsexy things to get where we are. What did that look like for you? What did some of those sacrifices, some of those lifestyle hits look like uh, when you made the transition to doing real estate full time? Yeah. So a big mistake that I made and I, I, I've recently acknowledged it, but and a lot of us will do this when we get involved in business is you do have to sacrifice, right? Like I wanted my, I wanted to be, I wanted to not miss my kid grow up. I didn't want to be on airplanes. I accomplished that. But what I had done because I had achieved success, I, and I'm an entrepreneur and I can't sit still for five seconds is I got shiny object syndrome happened all over again. So I basically recreated my W-2 or my nine to five prison, if you will, inside of my real estate business. Okay. I started a podcast. I became an affiliate. Like I was doing a lot of different things and I lost focus on what got me out of the job, which was my real estate business, right? I just wanted to, we all suffer from it. Like it doesn't really go away, the shiny object syndrome, right? We're always looking at stuff. So being singularly focused was, has always been uh, challenging for me. Uh, but that's, you know, I, I had a discussion with my wife, I mean, I, I have like a month ago because I have decided to slow down and drop some stuff off my plate. And she said, we both agreed like, yeah, you're here. I'm in my house. Like I work out of my home. You're here all day, but you're not really here. And we both kind of agreed together. And I said, yeah, that's not why I got into this, right? So you have to always watch that. And as you used the word earlier was audit. You know, you have to audit your, your circle and you also have to audit yourself. Yeah. And all those like little habits and traps that we get into, you know, like I had a a conversation with them, um, actually the uh, owner of one of uh, like a, a big uh, brokerage here. And he mm -hmm. said to me, you know, don't people in our industry just love to be busy? Like everybody feels like uh, Etienne Meller, if you're listening to this, this is for you. <laughs> so he, he said that, you know, like, like everybody feels like if they're busy, they're accomplishing something. But no, you're just making yourself busy. And so we kind of like as entrepreneurs have this sense that like, okay, like I still work nine to five, right? And like, if I have a hole in that nine to five time, I'm like looking for other work or looking for other things to plug into that hole. And so it's like, I'm creating this like artificial cycle of bus busyness out of habit, not out of intentionally being like, no, what do I actually need to get done today? And then if it's only four hours, like, let me go do something else with the other four hours. Right. Something they actually like doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you nailed it. Absolutely. I mean, I, if sometimes if I see a, an open block on my calendar, like I start having a panic attack, right? So I, I have to make sure that I manage that appropriately. I understand like, hey, we'll go back to the very beginning of the episode. Like, 
this is not how we're meant to live. Yeah, no, absolutely. So shiny object syndrome, that was the, that's the, that's what went on the chopping block. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. And uh, so final question. So what do you think we should be talking about in our industry that we're not talking about? A lot of things get a lot of airtime, maybe undeserved. So what should be on our radar that's not on our radar? In real estate, yeah, how hard it is. Okay. How difficult it is. Because if it were, look, I, I, I love, I love the real estate business. I love what it's done for me and my family. But yeah, there have been multiple times, more than multiple times where I've wanted to quit. I'm like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And I'm not trying to scare anybody away. I just think that I see a lot of new investors come in and this is not just real estate. This is just business period. They're just not mentally prepared. They're not mentally right. And one of the reasons that I had success is that I have been preparing mentally for my exit for years prior to that. I've been doing a lot of self-development and personal development and mindset work. And it sounds very cliche that mindset is everything, but there's a reason that cliches exist. It's because it's the truth. You have to be mentally prepared because this business will punch you right in the nose and you got to be ready for it. Okay. And it, then it's going to, then when you get through that, it's going to do it again. Now, such is life too, right? I'm not trying to scare anybody away. You just, I think that the first time anybody gets a little bit of egg on their face, they, they want to run away. Oh, I, I knew that would, they told me it wouldn't work. Just, you just need to be ready for it. It's not an easy business. You're dealing with human beings. They're going to do stuff that you don't like, right? <laughs> that you don't agree with. And you just have to be prepared for that. And that's why I think that coaching and mentorships and being around the right people is super important because when those moments happen, you don't feel like you're on an island. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it was Mike Tyson who said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I could say the same thing in real estate, I think. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, but I, but I think it just, you know, kind of circle back to what you said. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, this is where us as the uh, maybe people who have podcasts or people who, you know, take up space and airtime need to be more, um, you know, vulnerable or honest about what it actually takes and some of the bad moments, right? Like when you have those like waking up in the middle of the night and be like, okay, how, like, how am I actually going to pay for this? Or how am I actually going to deal with that? Or where's the financing going to come from? Like, there's like stressful moments. And you know, they don't look good on an Instagram feed. And so people don't talk about them that much, but like, that's where you make or break what you're doing. Could not agree more. I mean, that's, I, I wish more people would say that, honestly. Thank you, Terry, for, for sharing that. I, I, I agree. Instagram feeds do not, I can tell, I, every time I look at that, I'm like, yeah, there, that's not, that's not, that may be happening, but the majority of it is like, yeah, you're up at night, you know, and you got to be ready for that. Now, you know, sleepless nights are part of the business for sure, but you know, there's so much reward if you if you stick with it. Because again, while I said that this is a difficult business, the ones who can stay there and commit and be there for a long period of time, you're simply going to win by default. Because everyone else is going to dabble, as I said at the beginning, dabble or just just give up, just give up. So just by sticking with it, you're gonna you're usually going to win. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like, I really like resonate with what you're saying. Like I parallel to real estate, I had like a sports a career and I spent a long time trying to win a you know particular title. And after 10 years, it happened. And I was like, what did I do? I just kept showing up. Like, it's not like I'm more talented than the next guy or more anything. I just didn't quit. And then one day was my day, you know? And I think like in real estate, it's the same, same thing. You just keep showing up. And the other people who dabble will fall by the wayside and, and, you know, 
the great thing about our business is time really is on your side. Like building equity, building wealth is something that happens incrementally over a long period of time. And so if you just stick with it, you'll end up winning. hundred percent. And congrats on the, on, on winning. Most people will not go 10 years. They won't even go two years. 10 years, 10 years, consistent, focused, discipline. You're going to beat talent every single day. I'll, ta- I'll, I'll take that bet to the, to, the, to the grave. You will win every single time. You will beat talent every time if you can give yourself that level of time in terms of, of whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, 100%. Brian, I'm glad we agree on all that. <laughs> it's been a, a real pleasure having you on the show. Um, yeah. How can our uh, audience uh, get in touch with you, connect with you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yeah, so uh, you're going to be on it. I have a podcast, the W two Prison Break Show. So you could go listen to the to the show. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me if you want to learn more about all the stuff that we talk about. I, I literally, you know, bore people to, to death talking about this. The, this is this exact stuff on my podcast. I look forward to having you on. And uh, yeah, that would be the best way. Okay, Brian, thank you again for uh, taking this time to chat with me, sharing your wisdom with our audience, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's it. If you found this fun, constructive, interesting, go ahead and share it with a friend. I know I have a couple of people that I want to share this interview with who need to be quitting their day job. Awesome. Thanks, Terry. All right. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.